I was going to tell you that a farmer from Kansas wrote that song, Bringing in the Sheaves, and if you look it up on the internet and get the background to it, it'll probably mean a lot more to you. Their entire lives are dependent upon bringing in those sheaves of wheat. Interesting, interesting history behind it. Well, let's sing this song, What a Mighty God We Serve, okay? What a mighty God we serve What a mighty God we serve Angels bow before Him Heaven and earth adore Him What a mighty God we serve One more time What a mighty God we serve What a mighty God we serve Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve, we serve. Angels bow before Him, heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. I will call upon the Lord, for He is worthy to be praised. I will call upon His name. Blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation, Hosanna. Blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, what a 
mighty God we serve. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Amen. That'll put a smile on your face. (laughs) God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Sing it with me. able to say that whether you're a believer or not he's good to you he's good God is so good why don't you remain standing for a moment and I'm going to read a scripture it's going to be Psalm 100 Psalm 100 and I'll tell you about it in just a moment let's ask the Lord to Help us this morning before we open his holy word. Oh, 
All right, if you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 100 this week is the week where the United States is celebrating a holiday that is uh, strictly an American holiday. It is the Thanksgiving holiday. Thanksgiving strictly in America. And I'm going to teach you from Psalm 100 today. I'll inter interrupt the study on uh, Joseph, and we'll look at Psalm 100 today, and may the Lord bless his word. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations." May the Lord bless the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Somebody said we were entering into a period of inflation. I'll tell you how you can know when you're in a period of inflation. You have to listen carefully. When you pay $15 for a $10 haircut that you used to get for $5 when you had hair, that's when you're in a period of inflation. You remember that. Whether we are in a period of inflation or deflation, progression or recession, we as the people of God have reasons to praise the Lord, to rejoice in Him. And that is what Psalm 100 is all about, and I'm just going to cover it for you today hopefully give you some things to think about and give you some reasons to praise the Lord. The psalm begins with, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This word, make, an interesting word in the Hebrew language, it is the word ruah, and it means to shout. To shout as with an instrument, especially a horn. Moses told Israel, said, I want you to make two silver trumpets. And the trumpets are to be blown to call an assembly together, and secondly, to get everybody together for journeying when they were journeying through the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. When both of the trumpets were blown, all the people were to gather at the door of the tabernacle. One blast of one trumpet meant only the heads of the tribes were together at the door of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent where it was a temporary dwelling place for the presence of God. And when an alarm, an alarm blast was, was blown, only certain camps were to assemble. For example, we read in, in Numbers chapter 10, when the entire congregation is to be gathered, Moses said, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. 
So this phrase, sound an alarm, is the same word that's translated make in Psalm 100, Psalm 100 written by David. It is the, the Hebrew word ruah. In taking a fortified city of Jericho, the Lord told General Joshua to lead the nation of Israel to walk around the city of Jericho uh, each day, and then on the seventh day to walk around it seven times. And then he said, when you walk around it seven times on the seventh day, he said, then you will make a long blast with a ram's horn. They called it the shofar. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, listen to this now, all the people shall shout, same word, ruah, with a great shout, and the wall of that city shall fall down. In the days of Samuel the prophet, when Israel was defeated in a battle with the Philistines, they said, what's wrong? Somebody said, it's because we don't have the ark of the Lord here, a little chest that symbolized the presence and the glory of God. So somebody said, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's get it out of Shiloh. Let's bring it here that we might be saved from the hands of our enemies. So we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5, when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted. They shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. Same word. It is the Hebrew word ruah. So this psalm Psalm 100 of Thanksgiving begins with a shout. And so I'm trying to emphasize to you, this is not some quiet under the breath thing. This is a shout. What kind of shout is it? He says it's a joyful shout. It's a shout of gladness. It's a shout of praise. It's a shout of heartfelt gratitude and soul worship. It's a Shout of joy, he says. He says, make a joyful noise. What he's saying here is make a noise, and the type of noise you should make is, you can tell by listening to it, that it is a noise of joy. And then he said, make the joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, when you look in your Bible... And you see L-O-R-D, all capital letters. That is the term Yahovah, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, as it's translated. He's called the existing one, the I am that I am. He's the living God. He is alive, and he's well, and he's distinct from all the false gods. He may be distinguished in the following manner. Number one, he is a personality. The God we serve is a personality. He's a divine person. He's not an energy. He's not a force. He's not a demiurge. He can know, he can see, he can hear. The psalmist asked, he that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastens the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teaches man's knowledge, shall he not know? Secondly, he's distinguished, and get this, his name cannot be pronounced. The Hebrew name of God is transliterated into four letters, J-H-V-H, if you translate it Jehovah, or Y-H-V-H, if you translate it Yahweh. Now, the scholars call this the tetragrammaton. You don't have to remember that, but that word tetragrammaton comes from the Greek, and it means consisting of. So, the name of God consists of 
four consonants. The Hebrew name of God of Israel consists of four written consonants which cannot be pronounced. Every Tuesday I tutor uh, my grandson Leo. And I've taught Leo that the alphabet is made up of vowels and consonants. Remember when you were in school, the vowels are A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y. You remember that? And all the other letters in the alphabet are called consonants. Well, you know you cannot pronounce a name without the vowels. If I took Beth Moran, her name was B-E-T-H, and I just had B-T-H, how do you say that? The E enables us to pronounce the name. So if it's John, J-O-H-N, you take out the O, you just got J-H-N. How do you say that? You can't say it. So the old ancient Hebrew, when they came to the name of God, they could not pronounce it. They did not want to pronounce it. It has been estimated that this tetragrammaton, this thing that's translated Lord in your Bible, capital, all capitals, L-O-R-D, all capitals, that's the tetragrammaton, it just says Lord instead of trying to write his name. You understand? It's been estimated that this tetragrammaton is used just a little under 7,000 times in the Bible. And scholars have rightly taught that the name of the God of Israel should not be spoken. Because to even say his name is to corrupt that unpronounceable name. Now we, th we think it's irreverent. And we think it shows the highest disrespect to address a queen or a king or some other high-ranking official by their first name. No one in his right mind would say to the Queen of England, how are you doing, Liz? It's proper to address the Queen as Your Majesty, and no one speaks to the Queen unless she speaks to you first. So how much more respect and how much more reverence should be shown to the invisible living God whose name cannot be spoken. In the third place, he's distinguished from other gods in that he cannot be found. He is the invisible, self-existing one. Listen to this. God that made the world and all things therein is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not dwell in temples made with the hands of men. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since it is he who gives to everything else life and breath and all things. And he has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. That's all in Acts chapter 17. You can read it for yourself. So you say, okay, Brother Sasser, if he's the invisible God and he cannot be found by our efforts, how can he be known? I'm glad you asked that question. He is the God who must reveal himself if he is to be known. And he has revealed himself. Number one, he has revealed himself in his word. If you want to know him, get into his word. 
learn doctrine. Get into the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that the woman of God, that the believer might be complete, perfect, or really mature, thoroughly furnished, thoroughly equipped to do all that you need to do in serving the Lord. That's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So he has revealed himself in his word. And I can't emphasize this enough. I know you've heard, most of you have heard from the time you've been kids, you ought to read your Bible every day. I know you've heard that. But it is the truth. You should get a Bible and you should every day make some kind of covenant with God that you're going to read your Bible every day. If you have to get up earlier in the morning to read it, or if you have to stay up later at night to read it, read it every day. Read a couple of chapters every day. Read the Scripture. Pray before you read it. Pray while you're reading it, and pray after you read it. Revealed, He has revealed Himself in His Word. Get in the Word. Secondly, He has revealed Himself by His actions. When God came down to Abraham and told Abraham, Go off with your son up on Mount Moriah, And then as Abraham was about to draw a knife and kill his son, the Lord called him and said, don't do it. Look over there behind you. And looking behind him, there was a ram caught in a bush. And Abraham took the ram and put it in the place of his son, and he killed the ram. That's the gospel. The ram represents our Lord Jesus Christ, our substitute who took our place. And so, Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide, the Lord sees. And then when Gideon was told to uh, do some great things, Gideon was actually, he was a kind of a cowardly guy. He was hiding out when God called him. But when he called him to, uh, called him a mighty man of valor, Gideon looked around and said, who are you talking to me? But the Lord called him and made him a hero in Israel. And Gideon called the Lord Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And then when the Lord sent Israel out of Egypt, he said, if you listen to me, I will not put any of the diseases upon you that I put upon the Egyptians. And they called the Lord Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. And then when they fought with Abimelech, and uh, Moses, as long as Moses held his hands up, Israel won. And when his arms got tired, went down, Abimelech won. And so the two guys, Aaron and Hur, uh, they steadied Moses' hands. They got up under his hands, and they called the God that appeared to them and gave them the victory there, Jehovah Nissa. And then David said, Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. And then Jehovah Adonai, I am the Lord who is God. You see, God is known by what he has done. He's revealed himself in his actions. He's the creator. He's revealed himself in his word. And most importantly, he has revealed himself in his only begotten son. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 that in many different ways in times past he revealed himself by the prophets. He spoke by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, all things are delivered unto me of my father. 
And no man knows the Son but the Father, neither does any man know the Father but the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So my friends, when you get into the written Word of God, you get into the living Word of God. And as I tell you all the time, the Bible is a hymn book, H-I-M. It's all about Him, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our friend. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1. Jesus said to the Jews in John 5, 39, Search the Scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. And so we should shout a joyful shout of gladness unto the Lord, the thrice holy God who can only be known by divine revelation, in, by, and through Jesus Christ revealed in the written word by the Holy Spirit who is the author of that word, by the way. And guess what? This make a joyful noise unto the Lord, it is written in a certain mood and a certain tense. It's written in the imperative. You know what imperative means? It means it's not a suggestion. <laughs> it's not a suggestion. If you feel like it, you could make a little noise unto the Lord. It is a command. It is a command that we make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Who's to do this? Well, he says, all the lands, all ye lands. David calls for his native land to participate. He calls for all the earth, the whole earth, to raise a noise with loud and joyful shouting. David wants to see the entire world with all of its people give glory and honor to his creator, his sustainer, his Lord and Savior, because he is worthy. Do some of you, any of you, all of you want to see the world give the glory to our God? I do. I want to see multitudes converted to the Lord Jesus Christ to prepare the world for His coming. Then he says in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord. Also, this is an imperative he, this is the command, serve the Lord. David views himself and all who call upon the name of the Lord as servants of the Lord. And service, as, as it is used here, is synonymous with worship. In other words, when we worship the Lord, we serve the Lord. When we serve the Lord, we worship the Lord. Our entire existence, all that constitutes life, including work and play, constitutes worship in service. Let me give you an, uh, an example to try to explain what I mean. David might say, for example, my official position is king of Israel, but my life is about serving the Lord. So you may be a banker, a carpenter, a contractor, you may be a painter, you may be a worker, you may work at some uh, company or some store, and that is your occupation. You might uh, have a vocational training, but your life should be about serving the Lord. So what David is saying is, whatever I am doing, I'm always doing it with the Lord's service in mind. It's what Paul meant when he said, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Now, what should our attitude be while we're serving the Lord? Well, I will, I'm going to do it, but I don't, I don't want to, but I'm, I'm going to do it. But what does it say about here? Serve the Lord what? With gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. This is a Hebrew word, shimcha, and it means with joy, with mirth, with pleasure. Here's the lesson now. Here's the lesson for you. Listen carefully. Only service that is carried out joyfully and with a willing heart is acceptable service. David says, do what you do joyfully, whatever that might be. If we come to worship out of duty only, it'll do us just as well to stay at home. This word simcha indicates being glad or joyful with the whole disposition. It's indicative of the frame of the heart. Here are some examples. Exodus 4.14, when Aaron saw Moses, he was glad in his heart. Psalm 19.8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Psalm 104.15, wine makes glad the heart of man. Psalm 105, verse 3, let the heart of them that rejoice that seek the Lord. David prayed in Psalm 86, 4, rejoice the soul of thy servant. Unto thee do I lift up my soul. There are many occasions and many objects can cheer us. A wise son can make us glad. A kind word, meeting a loved one. Uh, many occasions, many things, many people. But the Lord and his salvation are cited as frequently as the greatest reason for us to be joyful Christians. The joy of the Lord should be our strength. Israel was under the law, but even then serving the Lord was associated with gladness. And Moses warned Israel that failure to serve the Lord with gladness would bring his judgment. Listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 47. Because you serve this, because you serve this, that you have not served the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies. David says if we don't delight in serving the Lord, he says we're fakes. We are pseudo-believers. We're hypocrites. Serve the Lord with gladness, and notice goes on in verse 2, and come before his presence with singing. Come, come before His presence. Come means you are invited. means the Lord will not turn you away. You say, what about if I've done this? Come. What about if I've done that? Come. What if I've been here? Come. If you come, you want fellowship with the Lord, you want to know the Lord, then you come if you earnestly desire to worship and serve Him. Even under the law, foreigners were invited to come. Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 8, Moreover, Lord, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but comes out of a far country for thy name's sake. For they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand, and the heathen shall hear of thy stretched out arm. And when that heathen, when that foreigner shall come and pray toward this house, Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calls for, that all people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee, and do as thy people Israel. 
They even allowed the stranger, the foreigner, to come. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, loaded down, weary, I will give you rest. Learn from me. I will be your teacher. I'm meek. I'm lowly. That means I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest. Come. Then he says in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence. Well, there's a sense in which you cannot escape the pervading presence of the Lord. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. But the meaning of his presence here is to come before him in worship and wonder, showing supreme respect, or we would use the term reverence. David said in another psalm, Psalm 89, that God is greatly to be feared, that is to be respected, to be reverenced in the assembly of the saints. He's to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. You know what I see today in churches in America? The respect, the reverence, the awe of God has been lost. Now Jesus is just somebody that you get to know. He'd like to help you. Uh, he'd like to do this. He'd like to do that. There's no respect. There's no awe. I can see the breakdown of respect and reverence even in the breakdown of our society. There's no longer respect for people who have positions that demand respect. That's all gone. That's all lost. Uh, it, 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 and it's going to get worse. And why is that lost? Because there's no respect for the God that made us. If there's respect for the God that made us, if there's reverence for him, there'll be reverence and respect down here among ourselves. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the very first thing he taught them was that they must revere the Father. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name is to be reverenced, is to be respected to be in his hallowed presence, singing praises to him and caught up with his glory and majesty is the idea here. Come before his presence with what, David said? With singing, with singing. This word here comes from a, a word, a Hebrew word, renan, and it denotes a shout of jubilation. It, it denotes a triumphant kind of singing. When Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation after offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering, the Bible says fire came down before the Lord and consumed everything that was on the altar. And it says that when the people saw it, they shouted. It's the same word that's used here, translated singing. They shouted, they shouted the shout of jubilation. They shouted the shout of a triumphant singing, and they fell on their faces. It's a holy joy, a holy joy. Know ye, he says in the next verse, verse 3, know ye that the Lord, he is God. David wants us to know why we should make a joyful noise, why we should serve the Lord with gladness, and why we should come before his presence with singing. Because, he says, if you'll pardon this little Hebrew expression, Yadah Yehovah Elohim, the Lord, he is God. 
This word know means to recognize. We must recognize and acknowledge that the God of David is God indeed. As a friend of mine used to say, he's God all by himself. Jehovah, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, David's Lord, is the self-existing one. The one who was, the one who is, the one who is to be. The one who alone has always been and always will be. He had no beginning. He has no end. He does not age. The dew of youth is on his brow. As Martin Luther said in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. Then he says in another verse, Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age, he is the same, and he must win the battle. And so it is Yada Yehovah. That is, the Lord, he is God. And that last word translated God is Elohim. Elohim, he is God. He's the only true and living God. He's the creator. Look at what he says in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. Now, I can say, one of the old philosophers used to wrestle with the question of, can we know that we even exist? I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I know I exist because the, the government still wants to collect taxes. But I can say this, I can say that I am, but I cannot say I am that I am. That would mean I caused myself. Only God can say, I am that I am. But what he's telling us here in this third verse, he, that is, he made us and not we ourselves, he's telling us that he is our rightful owner. Then you know what that means? That means neither your body nor your soul belong exclusively to you. He has made us, and therefore we belong to him. Body, soul, and spirit. Now, all this confusion today about rights and possession of things because, is because we refuse to recognize and admit that Elohim, God, made us, and therefore He owns us. We did not make ourselves, therefore we do not own ourselves. Nor do we own anything. Everything I have belongs to Him. It's on loan to me. And it's going to be a sad day in the day of judgment when human beings have to give an account of what they've done with God's property. Many have gone to be faced with defacing and abusing what God has made. It is the Lord who has made us. It is the Lord who owns us. It is the Lord to whom we shall give an account. Then he goes on to say, we are his people. That is, he is our sovereign ruler. We are his subjects. He is our governor. He is our king. He is our lawgiver. He is our judge. He is our savior. He's the one who has established these laws that we have in this world. You say, well, I don't like these laws. Well, let's try to defy the law of gravity every once in a while. Get up on a 10-story building and jump off. See how much power you have over the law of gravity. There are laws in this world. Did you know that in the French Revolution, 
was one of the bloodiest revolutions in history. They tried to establish an eight-day week. An eight-day week. So how do you do that? Well, you see, when you read in the Bible, it says on the first day of the week, on the second day of the week, on the third day of the week. It doesn't name the days of the week. Did you know that every name of the days of the week is named after a heathen God? Did you know that every month of the year is named after a heathen God? And so, suppose you wanted to establish a 25-day week and a half-a-day weekend. You could do that. Well, in the French Revolution, they tried to establish an eight-day week because the French Revolution was an anti-God revolution. And you know what? Within a year, people were getting sick. They were getting ill. They couldn't do it. You know why? Because God created this world on a seven-day cycle. And I'm telling you, if you try to go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're going to pay for it. You hear me? You're going to pay for it. You're supposed to take a day to rest, a day when you relax. This is the day we come to worship here at Grace Church at Franklin. But it's set up on a seven-day cycle. It's God who has established this cycle. All the laws from the law of gravity to the second law of thermonuclear dynamics, which says that you can't increase anything in this world. This world was created with a certain amount of matter, and you can't increase that matter or diminish it. You can change it. You take a piece of wood, it's got so much energy in it, you burn the wood up. You didn't destroy the energy, you just gave the energy in the wood another form. Now it's in the form of a gas. But you can't destroy it. You can't e- increase it. You can't diminish it. All of these things were established by Almighty God. And this is what David is saying here. He says, we are not at liberty to do as we please. His will is our liberty. We are to love and seek to do His will. Our goal should be, thy will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. He goes on to say, verse 3, He is our sovereign provider. Verse 3, he says, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He provides pasture for us. If you have a job, it's the Lord that's provided you with that job. If you've developed certain skills that are required to have that job, it is the Lord who gives you that ability, that gift, that capacity to do that work. We are his sheep and we are always in his pasture. He's the one who furnishes pasture for us. He's the one who's always blessing us. The way of blessing, the way of great blessing is to graze in his pasture. Graze in this word right here. Get into the word of God. Get into the scripture. Graze in it a while. Jesus said, I'm the door. If any man enter in by me, Listen now, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. John chapter 10, verse 9. Once again, he's the one who blesses us. He blesses us. He saves us. He provides pasture for us. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 95 and verse 7. Then he says, David says, he's always good. He's always good to us. Notice this. We are his people, and we're the sheep of his pastor. He is good in the sense that he is love. He's the only one who is good. 
Remember when that man came up to Jesus and said, why? said, good master, good master, what must I do that I might enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good save one, and that is God. Most of us were taught to pray when we were kids. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. So God, listen now, is the only measure of good and goodness. We don't know what good is. The further we get away from him, the more confused we're going to be about what's good and what's not good. What's good and what's evil. What's sweet and what's sour. He's the only measure of good and goodness. Can any of us say, can any man anywhere say, the Lord has not been good to me? You're here today because of the goodness of God. Some of you feel like that you have more of a title to that than others because you've been through some things, but you're here today because of the goodness of God. Then he says this. He says his mercy, his mercy is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor, and into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. His mercy is everlasting. That's down in verse 5. You know that word mercy is a word that's frequently used in the Old Testament. It's spelled H-E-S-E-D, hesed, and it's usually translated loving kindness. It is the Old Testament equivalent, I believe, to the word grace in the New Testament. His graciousness has no boundaries to us in time. Uh, it is everlasting. He is the Lord of truth. He is the Lord of faithfulness. He's the, his truth is to all generations, he says. When my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up, David said. Now, aren't these enough reasons to give us some thanks? And I just touched the top of the, uh, the tip of the iceberg here. Therefore, he says, let's, verse 4, let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The entrance into the courts of the Lord is Christ. I believe Christ is the gate. I believe Christ is the door. And you're going to find the gate and the door in the word of God. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Then it says, enter his courts. The court was the place of blessing. See, Psalm 100 was, was, was written before the temple was built by Solomon. They used the tabernacle when they were traveling through the wilderness. When they finally got established in the promised land, uh, David's son Solomon built the temple. Still got the wall of that temple over in modern Israel today. All of the people of Israel could come into the outer court of the tabernacle. Now get this now. You could come into the outer court... But one thing was required for you to come into the outer court. You know what it was? You had to have a sacrifice. Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is our substitutionary sacrifice. He offered up himself for us, and we take Christ, and we offer him up to the Father. We praise him for his great love, wherewith he has loved us and given himself for us that we might enter not only the outer court, but the most holy of all, the holiest of all, into the very presence of God himself. 
David said, a day in thy courts is worth 10,000 elsewhere. He says, enter his courts, what? With thanksgiving and into his courts, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with, with praise. What he's saying here is enter singing a song, singing a hymn. Again, this demonstrates our deep and sincere thankfulness to the Lord. Then he says, be thankful unto him. Be thankful to him. That's to praise him. That's to laud him. That's to recognize and confess him for what he is. You know what thankful means? It means to be full of thanks. Thankful. That's what it means. Go back and look up the word. Thankful means to be full of thanks. You can remember that. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be full of thanks at all times. Then he says, bless his name. Bless his name. Now, who's the guy that used to be president of the United States and his first name was Barack? Well, Barack means bless. <laughs> Barack means, from the Hebrew, it means to kneel down in holy gratitude and praise. It emphasizes that the Lord alone is to receive the glory. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Psalm 115, verse 1. So we enter his courts with praise to him alone. And so we see that this psalm is a passionate call to all the earth to render praise to our exalted Lord, our creator, our preserver, uh, the one who is our salvation and our benefactor of all men, but especially of those who believe. So let me close out by pointing out two or three little things for you. Number one, we've got a threefold invitation here. He says, shout, he says, worship, and he says, come. And then we've got a threefold affirmation. We've got God, we've got the God who made us, and we've got the God, we are his people. We are the, the people of this God. And then he says we ought to enter. He says we ought to give thanks. And he says we ought to give praise. And then we've got a threefold affirmation in verse 5. A threefold affirmation affirming that what I'm telling you is true. What is, what is the threefold affirmation? He is good. He is merciful, his mercy endureth forever, and his truth, he is truth. He is good, he is full of mercy, and he is the God of truth. Now we know that this divine Lord made us for himself, and we belong to him as sheep in a good shepherd's care. Therefore, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together.
I hope you have a good Thanksgiving, and I hope when you're eating whatever you're eating, whether it's a bologna sandwich or a turkey or something substituted for a turkey. I understand that turkeys might be in short supply. Uh, let me just throw this word in. You don't have to take it seriously, but if we weren't buying things from China and everywhere else, we wouldn't have any short supply. We bought them right here from the United States. Right here, we have all we need right here. We don't need those other things. We wouldn't have it. And we have the Lord, don't we? And if we have Him, we have a reason to be thankful. We have a reason to praise Him. We have a reason to be joyful, for the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth to all generations. All generations. All right? Let's sing our song, Under the Blood of Jesus. Safe in the shepherd's fold, safe while the ages roll. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood. 